This is the Oanda Podcast. Brought to you by Jazz FM's Business Breakfast. Hello, this is the Oanda Market Insights Podcast, where each week we take on the big financial and business headlines from around the world. I'm Nick Howard. Joining me is Oanda Senior Market Analyst Craig Earlham. Greg, always good to speak to you. We've only got days left of 2020 and we hear from Michel Barnier that there are only hours left to do a Brexit deal. Now, we're also hearing tough words from Boris Johnson, the Prime Minister, saying that uh, the the talks are in a serious situation. It feels like we've been here before. (laughs) It feels like we've been here many times before. Uh, It feels like we've been here many times in the last three months Uh, I think October was the initial deadline for when a deal had to be agreed to give the European Parliament enough time to ratify it. So I think we always have to take these words with a pinch of salt. I think a lot of people kind of believed Boris Johnson and Ursula von der Leyen last week when they said that a firm decision would be made by Sunday. And uh, in keeping with Brexit, that firm decision was to carry on. And, And I think the one thing that makes a difference about this weekend to an extent is the fact that this was a European Parliament judgment that's saying that anything that's not completed by Sunday won't be ratified before the end of the year. So that's been taken a little bit more seriously. The, the problem is that there's always ways and means around things. Uh, and and the way and mean around this is likely to be that we don't get a full ratification, but we, we are it's allowed to be implemented preliminarily uh, until Parliament enacts it. And I think... More the more that we're seeing, the less chances I feel there is of a full agreement being done by Sunday again. Because even just on fishing, it just feels like there's the details that need to be agreed that's going to make people happy. It's not just the actual final compromises; it's the deals within those compromises, the details within those compromises. I feel like that's just going to take alone more than a couple of days. Um, granted, they've had long enough, but I feel like it's going to take a couple of days once the compromises start being made. So the, the more I see this, the more I'm leaning towards the view that it is just going to be later in the year when this is agreed probably between Christmas and New Year and that we are going to see um, uh, preliminary terms which allow for us to exit the transitional period effectively upon this new trade deal terms with the European Parliament then uh, ratifying it at some point in January. The problem, obviously, for business is that we're now past the point where you can do anything about the deal by January the 1st. That as far as a company that is transporting things into the UK in January is concerned, they will be trading on WTO terms. There isn't enough time to actually take into account any ways around tariffs. They're paying them. And the queues that we'll see at the border in January, there doesn't seem to be a way around that. No, I think there's going to be disruption whichever way we go at this point. Uh, I don't think it was ever going to be a completely seamless transition. Uh, Even if this deal had been made three months ago, there's probably going to be difficulties. Anytime you see a system change, whether it's in an office uh, or even even in your personal life if you have a change of routine there's always some form of teething problems and this is a massive change of routine this is a fun this is a, a massive fundamental change of routine that affects many people businesses uh, etc uh, and the borders are where we are likely 
to see the most visible um, uh, an action of it. But for businesses from day to day with the additional paperwork, etc., they are going to uh, experience difficulties as well, regardless of whether it's on WTO, WTO terms or the alternative deal, which is being thrashed out currently. You just hope that the if a deal is thrashed out, and I still do believe it will be, uh, that when it happens, that will just reduce the friction that's going to be caused and therefore reduce uh, the uh, the amount of difficulty it's, that, that we're going to see uh, over the course of the new year and probably for the first few months into 2021. Sterling has been our bellwether on this. Just briefly, how is the market taking the possibility of a deal? Taking it quite well. Um, against the dollar, which is the one we usually tend to look at, the, the pound is still trading at a two and a half year high. So there's clearly not too much issue on that front. The the caveat there being that the dollar is actually trading at a multi-year low at this point. We have seen mm. it continue to slide over the course of the last uh, few weeks. Uh, and we're now trading at a two and a half year low in the US dollar, more broadly speaking. That's the dollar index the bas- against a basket of currencies, uh, including the euro, the pound, etc. So the, the dollar do- does have a role to play in the fact that the pound does look almost deceivingly strong but even against the euro the pound's doing relatively well it's kind of trading uh, towards the kind of middle end of the the range which is traded out for most of 2020 uh, so it's not doing faring too bad we're not seeing the kind of nervousness kicking in that maybe we've seen um, past times when we've seen deadlines fast approaching it seems that people now view things through a different prism that they once did before and that that includes Uh, the risk side of things uh, as well. We are seeing more hedging um, going into this deadline and we have seen that building over the course of the last few weeks. The cost of effectively hedging is rising um, and that's a sign that that more activity is obviously therefore taking place. But then, like I say, the actual spot spot markets, um, the pound is faring still pretty well. Once again, going into the weekend, we are seeing it pull back a little. I think that's completely normal. That's completely absolutely to be expected um taking a bit of a more cautious approach especially given the fact that we could potentially have a deadline even though as i've already alluded to i don't think it's going to necessarily be stuck to hopefully it will we'd all like to move on from this but just the way things go you you wouldn't be surprised if this does move right into the end of the year uh, so the markets have been relatively stable that will change if these talks turn sour though if over the weekend they decide even if only temporarily that there is no way forward with this that talk and they call talks off um in in this kind of bold last minute bluff then you will feel the effects on the markets at the start of next week and that's the risk going into the weekend and that's something that we had last weekend as well which is why we did see some kind of risk aversion going into it is it's the weekend risk that's the biggest thing to an extent the fact that you can see sizable moves if things collapse is bad enough at the best of times happening when the markets are not open uh, that, that, that that that's that, that's troubling and that's why you do see this kind of risk aversion play going into the weekend but i don't think the moves we're seeing today is going to uh, cause much of it create much of a buffer for traders because if things turn sour the downside is significant Right, let's move to the US where there's a dilemma for President-elect Biden. So we've been speaking about the possibility of a stimulus deal for months now. It does look as though the room for a compromise has increased, um, but it wouldn't include money for local governments. Now, that's something that Biden has promised. The dilemma, obviously, is, is it better to get the money that's necessary for small businesses, but show that you can be pushed around by the Republican Senate? 
I think uh, this late in the day, the important thing is to get the money for things that are absolutely essential. And there has been hard bargaining. There has been efforts to try uh, and tick uh, as many of these boxes as you can. But when we're getting to this late in the day, if those issues are a deal breaker for the Republican Senate, then it's an issue best maybe uh, fought next year when the Senate may be tighter. Uh, the, the Senate may be 50-50 with the vice president having the casting vote. So all of a sudden, your power is dramatically increased compared to where it is now. The important thing is that at the end of this at the end of this month, we're not in a cliff edge scenario for households and businesses uh, and that there is there is funding out there for the vaccine rollout, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so that, I think that's the most important thing. And that's why this slim down package is now looking like the most feasible option. There's almost to, an, to, to a, a large extent, there's little um, urgency on either side to back down on what they are demanding because those two runoff seats in Georgia could change the dynamics um, in terms of Congress for the next two years at least uh, and therefore I, I do think a package is going to be passed i do think it's going to be slimmed down it's going to address the urgent issues it's going to be a bridge to what is going to be deemed necessary in, in say february time maybe march um at which point congress will have a much better idea of what the damage is being caused because at the moment the us is seeing a really severe wave of covid and it's almost it, weirdly i mean granted we are here in the uk but i don't think it's 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 grabbing the attention that it would have earlier on in the year. The fact that we are seeing uh, so many uh, fatalities on a daily basis, the, the 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 direction of travel that the number of cases is heading in, and this is going into the Christmas period when people are going to be gathering, when families are going to be meeting, uh, and this is the point when we thought that the spread would become more severe. Um, the fact that it's so severe already going into that period, I think, is very troubling. Uh, and I think we are going to see severe restrictions in January, probably even going into February now, as a result of what we're going to, what's going to happen over the next couple of weeks. Hopefully, I'm wrong. The la it's the last thing we need, but the upside being that it'll hopefully be the last time that we have to deal with it. But um, yeah, I think this stimulus package getting through is the most important thing being able to uh, then add to it later on if need be um, is, is is kind of a sacrifice worth making. We also heard from the Federal Reserve this week. Uh, was there anything from the FOMC, from Jay Powell, that surprised you, given that we know from central banks the taps are now on? So, the in a way, the, the surprise was that they, they weren't in any rush to add to the stimulus. The Bank of England added 150 billion euros. The ECB added to its PEP scheme. Uh, other central banks around the world have been adding over the course of the last six to eight weeks. So the fact that the Fed decided that they didn't need to, I thought was the most interesting. But then you look at their new forecasts and they they, they improved the, the forecast for 2020 growth and they revised upwards their forecast for 2021 and 2022. They revised down their unemployment forecast. So the economic situation in the US now for this year and into the next couple of years is far better than than the worst fears even three to six months ago. So the Fed maybe looked at these and decided, yes, the, we are in a severe situation right now, but the economy itself is holding up and there's therefore no need to unleash a whole new a whole load of new firepower. 
at this moment in time that may change in the next few months and we can respond accordingly then but let's hold it and wait and see because we're already providing an enormous amount of stimulus what they did instead was marginal easing kind of easing on the sidelines which is they committed to continuing at the current pace for longer than they were current previously suggesting they would so continue buying bonds at the current pace for a, a much longer period of time the the projections also suggested that there's going to be no rate hike or tightening at least prior to 2023 and we know that this can often be longer when you're looking that far into the future. So that's at least two or three years of no tightening. Uh, the Fed seems committed to the mandate that was changed not too long ago, which was, which is they were going to allow inflation to run above 2%. And I think the change that we saw from them re with regards to bond buying midweek was another uh, example of their commitment to do just that. But this isn't the test for that. The test for that will come when inflation gets close to 2% and how they act then. Right now, they're sending a strong message without actually having to do anything. What does it tell you about the US economy that it can remain as robust as it is while the country is experiencing, well, 3,000 deaths a day from coronavirus um, and a million new cases in just five days with, with no sign of slowing down? I think we have to remember that this has constantly been a trade-off throughout the last nine months for every country in the world in terms of how much economic hardship you want to take in order to save lives and how much you're willing to sacrifice in order to support the economy. Sweden very much went in a very different route to, for example, us here in the UK and their economy has benefited as a result, but the the other numbers have been uh, have been extremely severe. And you can see that since that first lockdown, the Trump administration has prioritised the economy, um, maybe partly driven by the election and wanting to be seen as being the best leader for the economy uh, going forward. Um, and we are seeing the, 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 the cost of that from, as you say, 3,000 deaths a day, even more than that uh, at this point, and more than 300,000 deaths since the start of the pandemic. These are, these are tragic, tragic numbers, but there has to be a benefit to that. And the benefit is in the economy and will continue to be in the economy if uh, if this stimulus support uh, package is passed before, uh, before the end of this year. It is also worth noting that the US is a very, very robust, dynamic uh, economy. And therefore, um, if you are going to bet on, on, on any country to bounce back strongly out of something like this the us will be right there near the top of your list uh, anyway so these numbers they're far better than what we're seeing elsewhere um, uh, especially for example here in the uk so i think that's really um why the fed acted in the way that they did um i guess we'll see how it fares now over the coming months and over the uh, over the coming year Finally, Craig, I want to uh, take you through just where money is going at the moment as we come to the end of the year. First of all, can we have a look at commodities? We're seeing a rise in the price of several metals, copper particularly. So I think when we're when we're seeing rises in these prices, it kind of reflects the the state of the economy, the state of the economic outlook, uh, and how much stimulus we're expecting from 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 government. So we are expecting to see a strong. We're seeing obviously the fiscal taps are turned on as well as the monetary taps. So government is spending a lot of cash. 
The economic outlook has improved dramatically with the introduction of these vaccines um, since the start of November, which is why we've seen such a strong move in that sense. Uh, so things like base metals are going to benefit uh, from uh, from investment, uh, from fiscal investment over the course of the next 12 to 24 months in order to try and spur on this uh, economic recovery, which I think is going to look very different to the last um, the, the recovery from the last crisis uh, just over a decade ago. Uh, the you look at something like gold, and it's benefited really well over the course of the last few weeks. Really, it kind of it pulled back quite far to around I think seventeen seventeen sixty, um, and now we're back at around eighteen eighty five. We were pushing nineteen hundred dollars yesterday, uh, and again I think the softer dollar has played a lot a, a major role in that. The dollar has really fallen out of favour. It was a massive safe haven during the pandemic, and we're very much seeing that go into full reverse now. Now that interest rates have been cut to zero, like everywhere else, and now that we are seeing much much improved risk appetite the dollar is paying the price and that's supporting gold to uh, a great extent and i think the fed's commitment the other day while maybe not delivering what they could have delivered they delivered enough uh, and they promised low rates for a very long period of time and in the aftermath of their decision we didn't see a spike in yields we did see the dollar falling and we've seen record highs in u.s stock markets uh, and gold is 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 benefiting from especially the first two of those you elsewhere we look at oil markets for example they've been really interesting as well oil is up 40 percent since the start of november so that is we've got the, the the two vaccine announcements maybe two and a half if you include astrazeneca although they're having their own issues but we've at least two positive vaccine results with pfizer and uh, moderna uh, and moderna looks as though it's going to be approved by the fda today uh, and I'm sure others won't be far behind. The EU is looking to roll out the Pfizer vaccine by the end of the year. So that puts the global economy in a much more positive growth trajectory now going into 2021. So that gave markets the, the oil the original boost. And then, uh, and then of course, we, uh, there was the OPEC agreement earlier on, the OPEC plus agreement earlier on this month rather than increasing production by 2 million barrels a day from January it's half a million in January and they'll stagger the the increases uh, as time goes on but they're also going to meet on a monthly basis so that they can evaluate how things are going and whether it's continuing to be the correct course of action to take so i think that 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 micromanagement of the uh, of the evolution now of the recovery i think markets are responding quite well to especially given the fact that they've shown that they can be flexible as and when is necessary so we've had a 40 percent rebound in crude maybe going to start to run on steam a bit soon because there's a lot of a lot of positive factors which are now priced into these oil markets so we may see them pair back a little bit but the the outlook is far more positive now than it's been for quite some time what about bitcoin i know a favorite topic of yours um, we've <laughs> seen a, a record high this week at twenty three thousand dollars. what are your thoughts on i suppose the the outlook for 2021 so i mean bitcoin it, we, we've spoken about it on the show a few times recently and it, it was all about that break of twenty thousand dollars. Once the break of twenty thousand dollars happened, it was clear that it was we were going to see uh, a ramped up move, and that's exactly what we saw. I think we hit twenty three and a half thousand dollars within twenty four hours of a break of twenty thousand dollars. I mean, that's pretty phenomenal. Um, uh, the, the fifteen to twenty percent gain within twenty four hours of hitting a new record high. That's uh, but this, this is Bitcoin. This is what Bitcoin does. Um, it has this volatility in it. It can make extraordinary gains. And uh, I think I put out a, a kind of survey on Twitter the uh, a few day, a few weeks ago, and it was about where, where will Bitcoin be at year end? And they, the 
the estimates kind of range from anywhere 10 to 10,000 to 40,000 plus. And there was a spread uh, around <laughs> there. I think 50% of the people voted for 20 to 30,000, which is kind of the safe bet. But then there was more people at 40,000 plus than I think there was at 30 to 40,000. They, they, this that is Bitcoin. That sums up Bitcoin perfectly. It can it, it has wild ranges. Um, uh, they, uh, and there is a lot more interest. There is more institutional money. And I think that is pushing up the price to a great extent. There is still a lot of buzz around it. It feels different to last time, but uh, that doesn't necessarily mean it's any more sustainable and it's any less susceptible to a crash. And as far as I'm concerned, the faster it goes up, the, the more severe any crash in Bitcoin is ultimately going to be. Um, uh, sure. Because, I mean, in the past, we've seen, I mean, because there are big players in Bitcoin who have very large holdings they you know they increase their holdings the price rises smaller investors get in and then the bigger players rush out with their profits we've seen that over and over again in the past has anything really changed well i mean in the past so you had your speculators and that's what really caused the frenzy 3 years ago was the 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 influx of speculators and i think you're probably seeing a little bit less of that now but by these big institutional players holding more of these then when they decide to go then they, they, then you are still going to see a massive you are still going to see these big old moves and they're not going to hold on to it forever i still don't buy half of the the reasons for why people are buying um, at this point uh, i like the technology i think bitcoin's really interesting i think a number of the others are, are very interesting as well but anyone who tells me that bitcoin is a store of value will never win me over because nothing is a store of value that can lose 50% in, in a very short period of time. Nothing is a store of value that hits 20,000 and then falls to 3,000. That is not fundamentally a store of value. It's it's an idea that you're hoping it's a store of value. Um, it, that's just not what it is. Someone's people saying it's an inflation edge. It's far too volatile to be uh, just an inflation edge. And there's no evidence that that is actually the case. It's uh, So therefore, for me, uh, it's far too early to be referring to it as these types of things. It is a speculative instrument that's nothing more at this moment in time. It's not widely used for anything other than to speculate on it. So it's a, and therefore, any any idea to the alternative, I, I, I just I can't buy into right now. That doesn't mean it's not fascinating to follow. It doesn't mean that I don't want to read about it every day. It doesn't mean that I don't think it has a future. I'm not entirely sure exactly what that is because, again... Who's going to the shop and spending Bitcoin when it's this volatile? No one. Um, this, it's fascinating to watch. But the thing that worries me is that the more hype you get, the the faster the price moves, and the faster the price moves, the the the, the sooner it is that people that are going to get completely burned and that's always the sad things with something like this because when it's on its way up it's exciting it's thrilling people are making what appears to be easy money the way down um can be extremely painful we saw it a few years ago and the faster the price runs up now the more the the the, the more i fear it's just we're gonna see history repeat itself and it always does it all well, almost always does <laughs> I mean, it, it does feel as though the other factor which might come into play in 2021, and to my surprise hasn't yet, is the environmental cost of Bitcoin, the sheer amount of electricity that is required to mine new Bitcoins. In a world where we're increasingly conscious of emissions and our climate impact, it does feel as though Bitcoin might have a rocky road ahead on that front. Yeah, like I say, this is this is again why for me that this Bitcoin feels like the original idea to what will later become the the usable um, the usable instrument. Sure, uh, Bitcoin two point 
Yeah, exactly. Uh, and it may be called Bitcoin 2.0, literally. But obviously, we've got Bitcoin Cash and Bitcoin everything at this point because people are trying to cling to the name and the hope that it actually benefits the, the, the price moves. And it obviously seems to, although Bitcoin moves seems to benefit everything in the crypto space almost, uh, which is, again, it's just another thing that that screams to me that it's nothing more than speculation uh, at this uh, at this point in time, I think I think uh, I've historically referred to Bitcoin as the kind of Napster to what will become Spotify, um, and and there's nothing I've seen really since that makes me think that it's going to be any different. Maybe I'll be eating my words uh, in the future, but for now, there's still nothing that I'm seeing that's any different. But like I say, it really is a fascinating space, and there's no denying that I am not um, I'm not necessarily a crypto cynic, but I'm. Uh, I, I don't buy half the rubbish that I feel like is spewed uh, at this current point in time. Um, I'm happy to be proven wrong. And if I am proven wrong, then great. It's, it's an exciting technology. But um, I th the moves that we see in these markets now just scare me a little bit because people always think that this is one way. When they talk about institutional money coming in, they talk as if institutional money can only buy an instrument, they can't sell it. That's not true. They talk about if you've got futures, then that's going to benefit price because it improves the way in which people can speculate on it. But the problem is that people can then sell as well as buy. So, um, uh, um, well, particularly as the, that's the only way for the institutional money to get their money back. This exactly. is not a dividend providing instrument. Yeah, and, and it's net, barring, uh, say, cryptocurrency hedge funds, which uh, which I just can't help but feel is just hedge funds in name only. Um, I, I just, people aren't making big allocations towards Bitcoin because of its volatility. And until that volatility calms down, then it's never it, it can't be more than a speculative instrument. And maybe that's just my personal view, and I'm sure it's a view shared by many people, and I'm sure it's a view opposed strongly by many others. But uh, for me, it's 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 going to be a fascinating watch, and I think 2021 could be really interesting as far as Bitcoin's concerned. It's been in the wilderness for the last three years, and I think now it could it's, it's going to be a really interesting thing to watch next year. Finally, Craig, do you want to take us through equities, where you expect to see markets as we, we come to the close of the year? So I think we've got the two big uh, deals to be made, which could potentially support risk appetite going into year end. I always think the first quarter of the year can be quite challenging and uh, the amount of years that we've seen have a tough start in these equity markets and people are trying to over explain why and it's just the fact that mar these markets don't move in straight lines. I think the markets could be in for a tough start to the year because they've had such an exceptional end to this year uh, and, and I think the first quarter of the year we are going to see lockdowns. I think we are going to see restrictions. The data isn't going to be as good as people maybe hoped currently and I, can't, I don't think you can always just buy, buy, buy based on the post-vaccine optimism. So I do think the first quarter may be a bit of a challenge for these markets, but I do think the recovery, um, I think I've said before, I think the recovery may be a little bit stronger than some people, than, than many people maybe, uh, are giving it credit for at this moment in time. I do think there is going to be certain pent-up uh, demand. I do think, obviously, that the recovery um, and the pent-up cash, uh, should we say, is, is unequal. Uh, which will affect the strength of the recovery, but I do also I do think that the this recovery is going to be stronger than what we've seen um, at least in the recent past, uh, and maybe stronger than the some of the, the the more bearish forecasts at this point in time. So I think the first quarter could be tough, but I think going going beyond that, I think there's plenty of reasons why these markets can continue to push higher. We're in an environment where central banks are pumping money like uh, they I don't think they've ever done before. Governments are pump, pumping money like they certainly don't do very often, and um, and and the and we've got the vaccine. There's pent up demand. I think these are 
going to be very supportive for a strong rebound uh, in 2021. Craig, always a pleasure speaking to you. That's Craig Earlham, Senior Market Analyst at Oanda. We are coming to the end of 2020. Join us in the next podcast for a roundup of 2020 and a look ahead to 2021 with a panel of fantastic guests. This is the Oanda Market Insights podcast available anywhere you get your podcasts. I'm Nick Howard. Join us again next week. From the team behind Jazz FM's Business Breakfast, a daily early morning 30-minute briefing for the day ahead. On air from 6am. Listen to Jazz FM on DAB, online or just ask Alexa.